Welcome to Mobile Interactions Now, the podcast where industry pros share firsthand experiences on making mobile interactions work. I'm Kevin, and I'm part of the team here at Tintech. On today's episode, Gene is joined by Alan Quayle. Alan is an industry analyst in the programmable communications sector, also the founder of TadHack and Tad Summit. Alan talked with Gene about how businesses were using programmable communications in 2020 and what that would mean moving forward. Take it away, Gene. Alan, Happy New Year and welcome to the show. I am so thrilled to have you as a big part of my send-off to year 2020. I really wanted to do this and I was so thrilled that you said yes. So I finally have you. And really, the goal is to analyze a little bit to industry changes that we saw and kind of really take a little peek at the crystal ball you are looking at (laughs) in your hand and and just kind of spread the knowledge. But before I get totally lost in that, I would love you to just kind of introduce yourself. We did a little intro in the beginning, but I am sure they would like to hear from you. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Gene, and um, Happy New Year to you too. So uh, just quick introduction. My name, Alan Quayle, engineering by training, but uh, left that, unfortunately, uh, a couple of decades ago. Uh, worked on a whole range of things across programmable communications or telecoms, programmable telecoms if you want. Uh, what I do currently, sort of three things. I run uh, TadHack, which is a global hackathon focused on innovation around programmable communications. That's about educating, helping people understand how powerful this is. We've made basically communications programmable so anybody can use it. There's Tad Summit, which is where we get the smaller guys, not the big brands that do all their own marketing. We get the smaller guys together to share best practices and all the cool stuff you get from small innovators who you know are very close, both technically and from sales marketing perspective to where the market is. So you really get some amazing insights there. You don't get corporate BS. In fact, we have as a policy for TAD Summit, no BS. And then I consult. So uh, I help companies all around the world in understanding where the industry is going, in helping them around creating plans, in creating collateral, in just connecting people together to help them grow and build new businesses and services. Now, let's do this. We just lived through, phew, year 2020. Yep. And, and basically every industry experienced some kind of crazy changes. And yes. programmable communications is not exception. I think it went through more accelerated changes. So tell us a little bit about, you know, let's start with some low lights, highlights, and, yep. and, and take us there. Yeah, no, let me take you through a quick walkthrough of what we've been through. Now, I have to open up because, you know, it was just setting a few ground rules, a few, you know, basically sort of statements of the obvious, but because of all the, uh, you know, sort of industry analysts or cheerleaders, depending on your perspective, I do need to state these. Remote working has existed for decades, okay? So, you know, it's not you know, 2020 hasn't created some new, you know, remote working. It's existed. I've been remote working for 20 years now. Uh, It's just, it's accelerated it, as you say. And, you know, a few more people have been doing it and a few more people have been hating it. 
Also, video conferencing has existed for decades, okay? It wasn't somehow magically invented, you know, by Zoom just before, you know, where COVID hit. It's been around for a long time. It's just we've done more of it. And there's a lot more people that hate it as well. And I'll come back to why I'm highlighting that. Also, online conferences have existed for decades. And we've had a few more of them this year. But again, if they really were that great, they would have been used a lot more in 2019. Uh, We had to use them in 2020 because of social distancing. Basically, you can't travel. But again, online conferences existed. And, you know, guess what? People need to meet. They need to be able to focus. So I just wanted to get that off my chest. You know, we do need to give a shout out to all the poor school children that have been remote learning on Zoom. It's been hell because there's a whole host of practical issues. There's always some kid that doesn't bring their headset. So they're going basically, you know, hands-free and there's noise, there's basically volume level all over the you know, place. There's also poor kids that are on crap internet. So they've got lag, they've got network issues, the patience that all the students need. Now, don't get me wrong, remote education can work for certain lessons. So if it's language, if it's more one-on-one, but as soon as you get to a group lesson and it's music, it's appalling. I just watched my poor son trying to basically do band practice over Zoom. It's not good. So anyway, I just wanted to sort of say that, you know, once we get, you know, the vaccine fully rolled out and we start to get back to, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, we're not social distancing as much, we're going to see some of these things disappear. Let's focus now on what's happened last year. So let's, you know, wind back to January. Zoom had IPO'd the year before and people were going, how is Zoom going to maintain 85% growth? You know, that was the number that was basically, yeah, it was predicting. So January, people were questioning how these companies were going to maintain their multiples. Now, of course, Twilio, their programmable communications, they cover SIP trunking, they cover a whole host of workflows. The CPAS label is completely wrong for Twilio. Twilio says that, but all the cheerleaders, sorry, analysts keep calling them CPAS. Anyway, I've always said CPAS is a dopey categorization. But let's just remember that people were wondering how those companies were going to maintain valuations. Just for the listeners who are not educated in the fine details between CPAS and programmable communications, can you just yeah. set the record straight first yeah. before we go? Yeah. So programmable communications is the fact that telecoms communications is now programmable. Generally open source based, you have a telecom app server and on that you can build anything you want. You can expose a messaging API, you can expose a voice API, you can expose, expose a video conferencing API. Zoom has an API on top of their uh, platform so that you can integrate it into your service. We've seen uh, through this year a whole host of remote exercise, remote workout companies that have been built on top of Zoom. They use the Zoom API because conferencing isn't their business. Their business is all about uh, the workouts and the content management. There's an example of programmable communications. We've got all these unified communications, contact center as a service, as well as communication platform as a service companies that have appeared over the last decade. They are all programmable communications. Let's look at companies like 8x8. 
they have UC, they have Contact Center, they have CPAS. They have all these capabilities because they're built on a programmable communication platform. So the key is communications, it's now all just software that runs on the internet, on the uh, customer's premises, in the enterprise data center, and it's all simply programmable. So that's the difference in that CPAS is a analyst-defined term for a segment of, it's a telecom app server that exposes generally voice and messaging APIs. But of course, it, the world's far more complex than that. There's a ton of stuff you can do, like you know, identity verification, like 2FA, like SIP trunking, you know, as an example. So you know, it's an artificial definition, but when you use the term programmable communications, you're capturing a broader technology market trend where there's a lot more companies in. It's a bigger number. Thank you very much for that. And now let's get back to some of the highlights and lowlights. <laughs> so also in January, you know, we've been consolidating now for a couple of years, but Enghouse bought Dialogic. We had Comcast bought Blueface. So we had, and this you'll see running through the year, all this M and A and uh, sort of uh, raises. A highlight for me was in February, we had Tadhack Mini Phoenix in person. That was, I think, uh, you know, it was, you could sense there was a, a nervousness at a via engage because it was in conjunction with a via engage but people still were like well you know maybe it'll be just like the flu you know the numbers weren't clear yet people knew there was like you know this COVID thing, but do we really need to worry about it but and it was great fun because not only did we have Envira engage we also had google dialogue flow and it was great it, we just had a whole host of really cool hacks created on the then March, I'm just trying to think this, because this is when the lockdown started. So at the start of March, I was attending SimCon 3. So that's the Simwood uh, customer event that they run. And also I won a prize there for Tadhack Global. So they recognized all the work that we'd be doing over Tadhack over the years. But that really was my last flight. So March really was the uh, shift because we had planned Tadhack Mini Orlando just before Enterprise Connect. Enterprise Connect is a big uh, enterprise communications event. And that, you know, they decided, because you know, they were trying to run it in person, but in the end decided not to. But, you know, because we're a hackathon and we've always had online and uh, in-person components, we are like, we'll just do it online. And we had a great event. And I'll come back to, you know, because I just want to highlight that because I'm going to talk about Tatak Global in October and the difference between the two. Because, uh, you know, six months difference. In April, we saw Cinch buying Wavy. So we saw consolidation there as Cinch bought up Latin American business. Microsoft bought a firm Networks. They're more in the sort of programmable telco space. 8x8 bought callstats.io. Uh, Verizon bought BlueJeans in the conferencing space. And Microsoft bought MetaSwitch. So again, they're in this sort of programmable telecoms space. Then we started seeing some big numbers on razors. So Aircall, uh, who yeah, I remember when they started up in Paris, like five or six years ago now, uh, built on top of Twilio, raised 65 million at a 500 million valuation. Matrix, of course, raised some cash as well. They're a uh, open source project focused around, think of it as federated enterprise communications. 
So no longer are you trapped in a Slack ecosystem or a Microsoft Teams ecosystem. You can use Matrix directly, or you can use Matrix to interconnect between different uh, silos. So we actually use Matrix, or Element as they're called now, at TEDHack. So I can be chatting with people using Matrix, but I can also see all the conversations in different groups, for example, on Slack. So it's a great way of being able to have conversations across different messaging platforms. Now, maybe we started to get hints that some companies were doing quite well out of this lockdown. So, you know, Twilio, Zoom, they hadn't published numbers, but, you know, it was clear that they're doing a lot of business. So Zoom in June published, and they showed year-on-year revenue growth of 169%. I, you know, I mean, they were right time, right place. The, the team, you know, Eric, who founded uh, Zoom, he'd been part of WebEx, so he'd founded the company that, uh, you know, Cisco bought. And he saw the mistake they were making because they were taking a very enterprise approach to video conferencing. And he was like, you know, it's consumerization. Great experience and just make it the zero on ramp. So teams within enterprises could just use it for free, see the value, and then move up the staircase of commitment in terms of uh, paying. We, this is Web 2.0 principle. This isn't a new idea. You just basically give it away free, people see the value, and then they start buying because they see the value there. And that's Zoom's proposition, you know? And it became basically a term people use to Zoom because guess what? They give it away free to schools. I totally, I lived through it. Okay, here we are, <laughs> almost a year. And we're still home officing and home hacking for yeah. your audience. And the industry movements are still happening. And yeah. I'm yeah. guessing part of it because maybe we are learning what we need or what yeah. it wasn't complete to begin with. So maybe we can kind of uh, break this down a little bit. Do you see any pattern in terms of yeah. what uh, we are trying to complete here? Is it, is it more internal, external facing channels coming together? What, yeah. what do you look at? Yeah. So the key here is, you know, Amazon, you know, Zoom, Twilio didn't plan for the pandemic. You know, they had their business model and they were right time, right place, Zoom particularly. So many of us were remote working maybe on a Friday afternoon or maybe when it was, you know, sort of coming up to vacation time. So remote working happened. It just, you know, there was, everybody was sort of, not everybody, but a lot of people were forced to do it in a more consistent daily way. And some people hate it. I mean, you know, I, I work here in uh, New Jersey. It's basically sort of greater New York City, really. It's just, it's a different state. A lot of my neighbors work in New York City. They're not commuting even today. And they hate working from home. There's a whole variety of reasons. People are in a temporary situation. So the massive work from home isn't creating a new normal. Uh, you'll see people going back to the office at the end of this year, and a lot more people going back in time when they realize that those that are in the office are getting the promotions. The ones that are working from home aren't because they're not in the boss's face. Humans, human interaction, we're social creatures. And that social isn't fully replaced by a video conference. It isn't. It doesn't matter how many, you know, what, what, how you spin it. The reason 
conferences work, in-person conferences work, is because you're physically meeting people and you're away from the office. So your attention is focused on that event and those people. That's why conferences will still exist and be you know, quite popular towards the end of this year and back into 2022. Where we are, the tools are generally inadequate. Conferencing sucks for classrooms. For music lessons, it sucks really bad. And it's not just the technology, it's the human element. Because I'm in the office, I'm having to deal with a whole host of crap. And there's, you know, a conference taking place, but you know, I'll get it, you know, it could be a message from Jean. And it's like, oh, yeah, she's right. I need to respond to that. Well, this is far more interesting to respond to than listening to this boring presentation. I get into doing that, I get doing some other emails, an hour and a half goes by, I've given up listening to the conference. We are going to go through a period of consolidation. So I have, you know, I gave you one example of contact centers that you know were in person and then within a week had to become or less than you know virtual. So I had to move to a contact center as a service solution. And it was done quick and dirty. It was a band-aid. We've got a whole host of pandemic band-aids over enterprise communication, over customer communication. And as we return to uh, you know, basically business as usual, and believe me, by middle of 2022, most people, you know, pandemic will be a dim, they'll even forget, you know, uh, 19, why was it called COVID-19? You know, people will forget, it's human nature. So I think that we'll see this year a rationalization. Because if you've moved your contact center to, you know, you put a Band-Aid on of a CSAS solution, that's enabled you to do something that maybe you wouldn't have done or would have maybe over three, four, five years you'd experiment and, you know, because the contact center is working. Why fix what isn't broken? This is how enterprises operate. But because of the pandemic, it forced you to move to a cloud-based solution. And you saw that it works. It works reliably. Gives me a lot more flexibility. Some of my employees enjoy it. Yeah, you know, they're still effective working from home. Some hate it and want to be back in the call center. But as they consolidate through this year, you'll see that the old contact center, you know, the old sort of uh, legacy contact center will be replaced through 2021-2022. So because it takes time, you know, because you've got a whole migration plan, you've got all the data uh, and the services that you've built up over the years in that contact center. Uh, and you've all of a sudden discovered, wow, I can actually have a dashboard bundled with this contact center as a service where my previous provider was wanting to charge me like a million dollars for integration to do this omni-channel sort of integration dashboard. But it's here and it's bundled with a solution. So you're going to see a migration as the data gets taken from the legacy platforms and gets put into the cloud platforms. So something that would have taken a decade, is essentially it's going to be three years because 2020 was the quick, dirty, band-aid, you know, forcing action that would never have happened in the first place. Then through 2021, 22, you'll see the migration that wouldn't necessarily have happened because it's not broken. Our contact center's working. Yes, it's a bit more efficient, whatever. But, you know, what, don't fix what isn't broken. If we were to see beyond the contact centers, what do you see? Yeah. So moving more on to... Well, 
although stores are open, what's been hard is food. So restaurants, and it depends regionally. I mean, some countries, generally led by women, that actually listen to science, have implemented protocols that have enabled restaurants to remain open, that have enabled you know, a lot of industries to be relatively minor impact. So we've seen a lot of, you know, especially here you know, in my hometown, companies move the business online. So they've been able to, you know, from their website, you can now order online. If we look at you know, within enterprise and employee communications, it's been an explosion of a patchwork quilt. There's the legacy sort of a UC solution or the legacy voice solution. Zoom's been patched in there, WebEx, Microsoft Teams, Slack. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, you, you just look at all the apps in a lot of employees' you know, sort of uh, uh, tr- tr- system trays on their laptops. It's a mess. Like, you know, the mess around SIP trunking and SD-WAN, simply so you can enable secure communication to the home because you've got employees with confidential information now being transmitted to their homes. And, and some of that will change as we move back to sort of normal because I know, you know, for some banks, they're doing stuff that they're tolerating, but as soon as they got enough employees back in the office, that will be changing rather than kind of coming up with a different governing mechanism, you think that it will just be shadow technology and just kind of uh, start going back to that old, like... Oh, no. It's more complex. You've got control human issues that are as dominant as technology. I think that we're in, at the moment, a raft of pandemic band-aids that have actually, you know, given some crazy growth numbers because people are adding in services while they're not getting rid of old services because they're just, we've got to get this working. A lot of growth has come in, come through Band-Aids. We're going to see a rationalization of those Band-Aids and using programmable communication to be more flexible in supporting whether you want to work from home or not that maybe wasn't as flexible. But to be fair in mind, Working from home was a norm for many large businesses. You know, in financial services, people were in, absolutely. But in some of the sort of more consumer-oriented brands, I definitely saw some of the people that their car didn't leave their drive on a Fridays because they weren't commuting in, you know? It was like, I'm working from home on Fridays. We've improved efficiency. We've, you know, this period will have enabled a more complete, work experience. It's not revolutionizing things. It's just facilitated, whether you're in the office or at home, more of the workflow, more of the processes you can do pretty easily, as if you were in the office. I mean, it's been very interesting to look in some Asian countries at the massive volume of voice traffic that's still taking place. In Western markets, so let's use the UK, um, Sim would publish some numbers on voice traffic. So when the uh, lockdown happened, initially it was a big spike in voice traffic, but then it actually sort of dropped and actually went below because guess what? You know, people were using more online tools. While in some Asian countries, voice jumped because what happened was they didn't have all the uh, programmable communications. They didn't have all the cloud-based processes. So a lot of workflows had to move to voice. And the voice has continued because guess what? People were making it happen. 
you know, <laughs> there'd be like maybe sort of half the employees or a quarter of the employees with the office. The rest were working from home and they were collaborating using voice. Yes, Zoom is the rest, but get, bear in mind that, you know, a lot of countries, internet access is not so good as to, to support, you know, sort of uh, Zoom reliably. And yet the voice calls just work. So you've seen people collaborate the way they've always have done by using just good old telecommunication. So I just draw that as one example. I think US, well, not Western markets are on a slightly different trajectory and the diversity that we see in Asia will become even more diverse because of the pandemic. Thanks again to Alan Quayle for joining us today. Don't forget to tune into our next episode for the conclusion of our conversation with Alan. You can find more about Alan at alanquail.com. To find out more about Gene and Tintech, visit tintech.com. Make sure to subscribe to Mobile Interactions Now in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. On behalf of the team here at Tintech, thanks for listening.